This episode of The Crux is brought to you by the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. Good food feeds the heart and soul, and sharing a meal together has the power to unite people from diverse backgrounds as one family, one community, and one people. This is the power of Feast for Freedom. Come together as a community and celebrate the food, culture, and stories of refugees and people seeking asylum while raising vital funds for the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. Register as a host for Feast for Freedom this February and come together with friends, family and community over a shared meal cooked from delicious food and recipes gifted by refugees. For more information, head to the link in the show notes or visit www.feastforfreedom.org.au. Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. In today's episode, we discuss friendship bracelets, EEO millions, Big appointments and the horror behind the term cop shopping. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 22nd of February. My name is Angela Priestley. I'm joining you from Gadigal Land and I'm joined by my co-founder and Women's Agenda Editor-in-Chief, Tyler Lambert. Hello, Tyler. Hey, Ange. Nice to be here again. How was your week? It's been okay. We saw each other yesterday in Melbourne for an event that we ran there, which was quite interesting. And we're going to get to that soon too. So that was human contact. It was good. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) uh, it was human contact. And we had over 100 people in Melbourne for a breakfast event where we were discussing menopause and menstruation leave and how those concerns uh, raised by Jean Howes as to whether or not those leave entitlements could actually uh, cause discrimination against women. So we're going to discuss more about that later on in the episode and share some of the findings from that report also. But first, wins. What is your win this week? My win this week is, well, it's just been a big week of appointments. I feel like we've been publishing different appointments every single day, which is always encouraging to see. So I want to start with Jo Yap, who became the first full-time coach of the Wallaroos this week. She's a former England international and she has been announced as the full-time coach of Australia's National Women's Rugby Union team. She has a really illustrious sporting career. She was the former halfback. She earned 70 caps for England. She appeared at three Rugby World Cups at the 2006 final. She was captain for England. And since 2009, she's had a really impressive coaching career. She spent five years as the head coach of the England U20 women's team, and she was the director of women's rugby at Exeter University for eight years as well. And she was also the England women's senior back coach in the 2015 Six Nations. So very exciting news for Australia. England has a huge rugby culture and obviously she has just such a a wealth of experience there. So that's great news and great to see. I love seeing big appointments across women's sport like this. So that was a good one. We also saw this week Mindaroo Foundation which is one of the biggest kind of philanthropic organisations in Australia, backed by Andrew and Nicola Forrest, has appointed a new gender equality executive director in Jacqueline Judo Larson. And she commenced as Mindaroo's new gender equality executive at the beginning of this year, but it was officially announced this week. I think the Mindaroo Foundation is doing some really amazing work and we've seen big investments in some critical kind of spaces recently and some huge investments from Andrew and Nicola Forrest. So, that is great and I'm sure she'll be able to really look at where funding needs to go and and where those critical gaps are. And the other one uh, that was big this week 
which we will talk about a bit more in this episode because it is an interesting equation. But it comes off the back of Woolworth CEO Brad Banducci, which many of our listeners are probably familiar with if they watched Four Corners this week. The former head of the ACCC says that we have one of the most concentrated supermarkets in the world. Is he lying? Yeah. Yeah, no, Um, I think I'm done, guys. Uh, You know, I I do this with good intent. You know, I don't do this with bad intent. You're walking out, really? No, no, no. Can we just talk to Brad for a sec? But he has stood down as the CEO and he will be replaced by Amanda Bardwell, which it is great to see women in corporate leadership like that and, and always encouraging, but we know that that comes with some glass cliff territory. So, again, we will talk more about that in a little while, Ange, but they were my wins this week. I love I think that they're just some really great diverse appointments across spaces. What was your win? Well, my win, uh, this feels like such a obvious place to go to. And we've talked a lot about Taylor Swift and it's hard to escape this conversation at the moment if you are, you know. We can't shake it off. No, and apparently the boyfriend has touched down in Sydney, I just saw, in his private jet. So Anyway, but I think my take on the win was that I think you would have seen this probably at the airport yesterday as well, Tyler, but coming back from Melbourne Airport into Sydney, I think there was about like maybe 15 kind of young women, I think, They would have been teenagers. There were a few older women scattered about them who I think may have been parents and carers among the group. Um, Mm. Flying to Sydney, they were different friendship groups. It wasn't all one group, but it was just packed at the airport. Flying to Sydney, which I also don't understand because Taylor Swift was just in Melbourne, so I'm not sure how it all works if people are like hopping around going to multiple shows. I think that's the thing, right? There's a real. There was an (laughs) article today about how like Swifty fans are really pissed off because there are other Swifty fans that keep buying tickets to all the shows and it's just really unreasonable of them to do that. <laughs> okay, well, uh, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sure. But anyway, they were really excited. There was like clapping when we landed in Sydney. Like <laughs> it's just this like intro, like it was just a nice vibe and just friendly and happy and, you know, chatty and, and I, I just thought it was nice to see people connecting in that way. And I know this week Olivia Clill has written about the Taylor Swift friendship bracelets as well, which are really just lovely to see there this display of love and friendship and joy which is mm. I, I think what Taylor Swift does kind of personify that she does bring joy to people's lives you know and they got you know 96,000 fans in the MCG there was 30,000 people outside the Eras tour in Melbourne has boosted the city's economy by around 174 million in, in you know a few days mm. in terms of an uptick in hotels and in retail outlets and food and drinks and things like that it was funny because I heard something on Triple J the other day about how apparently fans at Blink-182 are upset that the concert hasn't been what it was like, you know, in the in the olden days of the mosh pit. It was kind of subdued and people are sitting in seats. And then the, the counter to that was at Taylor Swift concert that people were then upset that it was like too boisterous and over the top and everyone getting really excited and involved. Anyway, it's a, a side point. But I, <laughs> I think this is a nice win to see how, again, that we're seeing this young group of women who are really kind of leading this push in the economy and showing that when you bring something to this group that it does bring a great economic boost and that is something to think about and something for all brands to consider about how they might support Mm. younger women and girls in the future. And it boosts a really nice 
culture as well. I think that was my kind of key takeaway from the whole thing was that people expect teenage girls to act a certain way. And this whole like movement has really defined a new kind of identity for them. It's like all about this togetherness and connecting with each other and being friends and sharing that that kind of love. And it's just really wholesome to see. I really love it. I would like to see how that might also translate into supporting Australian female artists because I think there's so much great talent and some of the Mm. love and the passion could be maybe distributed to some of what we have locally here and might be a little bit more sustainable over time as well. Our next story today, which we spoke about just before, but let's go into it a bit more now. Brad Banducci. The CEO of supermarket giant Woolworths Group has announced his retirement following intense scrutiny in the media. If his name sounds familiar, it's because of the Four Corners report on Monday night, which we'll just play a little grab from now. Rod Sims, the former head of the ACCC, says that we have one of the most concentrated supermarkets in the world. Is he lying? It's not true. His words are that we have... by the way. I don't think you would impugn his integrity and his understanding of competition law. It, we're on the record. You said it. I mean, you know, let's let's move on. But, yeah. Yeah, no, um, I'm, I think I'm done, guys. No. You're walking out, really? No, no, no. Can we just talk to no, no, Brad for a second? Let me just... Let me just... It was awkward, wasn't it? It was awkward. It was. <laughs> just to state the obvious. Yeah, it was not good. It investigated Australia's supermarket sector... And it sparked significant backlash over the CEO's handling of the organisation. It's no coincidence at all that Banducci's announcement of his retirement followed the disastrous interview. But once again, as we report on time and time again, we have another glass cliff situation because Amanda Barwell, who is currently the managing director of Woolies X, is going to be replacing Banducci. And while it is great news for women's representation in corporate leadership, it is yet another example of a male leader making a colossal mess and a woman stepping in to mop it up. And why do they keep handing us the mop? Because we're so good at doing it. I don't know why. We just love cleaning. Sometimes it's nice to try something else, right? Let's try something else, hey? But no, I. so a few things with this one is that his retirement announcement was likely coming. Like it's clear that they did have some kind of succession plan going on and that they had been looking at who would succeed him. And they've made this announcement, you know, within 48 hours and it does look really bad. And if I were him, I would have been pushing for the announcement to be at another point, but that wasn't going to work out given this week and their earnings reports and stuff like that. And also he will be in the job until September 1. So it is a little bit different to say the Alan Joyce situation at Qantas where Vanessa Hudson was appointed and uh, you know Alan Joyce then kind of moved his retirement forward by a few months and like left the country and that was it we didn't really hear much more from him and there you have Vanessa Hudson having to front up to the Senate inquiry and you know having to regain the trust of Australians and the ACCC and their suppliers and the unions and things like that so a little bit different. So we can, I think he, he has said that he will still do the Senate inquiry, which is mm. good to hear. But, you know, obviously part of it is he wants to hand the baton on. That was a term I believe he used in his own LinkedIn post and that the time was now and, and it's come up and he's, he has been there for a long time. So he very much was due to move on. But, 
yeah, it doesn't, you know, it has gone almost as their first female CEO and, you know, here we are again and it just happens to follow massive public scrutiny of a company and their CEO having a train wreck of a situation. But what I kind of saw with this, I just, and and I'm starting to pull my thoughts together. I'm writing a piece about it at the moment because I was looking at the CEO pay and, I mean, first of all, when the Widgia figures come out next week regarding gender pay gaps at 5,000 or so different organisations across Australia, we're all going to be pretty shocked by what we see. Uh, sorry, I'm not necessarily talking about the retail sector, but at some really big organisations in Australia that we think would do better on, on, on a gender pay gap. But those gender pay gaps don't include the CEO pay. And uh, the CEO, like he earned something like $8 million in the last financial year when you count mm. bonuses and stuff like that. And I saw a calculation across a, different, a few different calculations across different um, publications today looking at the shares that he has. And it's worth, you know, something like $24 million. Like, it's, mm-hmm. like these people get paid really serious money to not walk out on those interviews. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, oh, yeah, not, none of us would want to go up against that Four Corners interview. None of us would want to face the Senate grillings that go on with some of these CEOs. Like, it mm. sounds like uh, awful, right? But Yeah, maybe there should be some kind of like, I don't know, some kind of parameter where if you really royally fuck up your job as a CEO, yeah, maybe I mean, you should have to pay back your salary for the last like couple of years or something. I don't know. I, I just feel like. Well, well, there is. I mean, that's the, the bonus structures are around that, but I guess the bonus structures are in the interest of shareholders, right? Like not necessarily the public. And Australians have a right to kind of go, what, what's going on with how much, with, with the price of the yeah. Because you do have a significant share of, like many of us don't have a choice. Like we have to shop at Woolworths. We have to shop at Coles. We don't. We don't always get huge choice as much as we'd like to go somewhere cheaper. So yeah, we have a kind of right to know, like, what's going on? Like, why? Like, what's going on with the specials? Mm. Like, what's with the advertising? Like, the farm. The farmers yeah. deserve that. Yeah, as exactly. Well. Like, yeah, and and the farmers guess, just getting rorted. Yeah, and so I guess that's why I'm just like, you get paid this much money, and that's the job. Is that you mm. have to deal with the mop. So do it. Like, don't necessarily, when yeah. it all gets bad, don't hand it on to a woman. That's first of all. But, like, I, I you know, we might suggest that maybe a, you know, a woman might bring something else to this role. But that's what I, I kind of see with this. And just, again, with some of the questions with Four Corners, it's like, what, how could you not have expected those questions and not have thought about what the answers might be? And surely you've got an army of comms people and stuff like that who would have been supporting you through that. And, yeah, so I, I don't know. And then the whole, like, you know, wearing the Woolworth shirt and being a man of the people or it's like, let, let's be like, he's earning a lot more than the average person on the checkout. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, I'm just, you know, here in the aisle of the supermarket, like with my people. Like, <laughs> uh, oh my God. He's probably like Scott Morrison doesn't know the price of a loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah. but honestly, I do think that there have been so many kind of egregious breaches of trust at, that corporate leadership level over the last few years and probably since the beginning of history, let's face it. But I do think that there should be some kind of recourse other than just retirement or resignation for these leaders when they breach that so badly. Like it's you're getting paid a lot to do this job. Do it ethically, do it right, do it well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not, I, I'm not saying he hasn't done his role ethically. Like, 
I wouldn't want to be the CEO of an like of an ASX 200, right? Maybe maybe I'll change my idea on that in 10 or 15 years' time. I don't think I'm on the path to be one either. But also I think, yeah, I'm not sure that would be for me. And, you know, you look at the salaries. I'm like, yeah, I get that, yeah, you should be paid well and decently for having that kind of leadership role. I don't think you need that many millions. Like I just cannot see why that is needed at all. Mm. And there is also with these companies that are so ingrained with how we live and what we have in our savings accounts and stuff like that, there's something to be said about the fact that a bonus structure does rely on the profit margin. So that company is so ingrained in everything about who we are and how we live. You know, we have to pay for this stuff and there's there's little competition amongst the supermarkets, I believe. <laughs> Many other people believe as well. And so it's like there's something kind of weird about the fact that they've got this bonus structure that obviously does need to come back to representing the needs of the shareholders and how they do as a business. But it's just out of whack, right? <laughs> they mm-hmm. out there building their profits and Australians are like, well, what's with the price of bread or, you know, why is you know, yeah. simple pasta and rice and like, uh, why is this all going up? Anyway, so that's the CEO pay. And we're going to learn more about CEO pay as well from, from Widgia. They'll be looking at how they include that over the next year, I believe. So it'll be interesting to see how those sorts of things do affect the gender pay gap, because there's obviously a lot more male CEOs than there are female CEOs. And we're talking CEOs that earn $8 million, $10 million, $12 million. It's quite sickening, I think we can say. Yeah. And to another story that is absolutely sickening. The the details in this story are so horrible. So a warning there. So it's been more than two years since Kelly Wilkinson was murdered at the hands of her husband in April 2021. Last week, Brian Johnston pleaded guilty to the murder charges after Wilkinson was tied to a clothesline and set on fire. At the time, Johnston's lawyer told reporters that quote, no one expected this to happen, end quote. But an investigation from Guardian Australia earlier this week showed otherwise. And according to reports, days before her murder, Wilkinson was going to different police stations along the Gold Coast and informing police of the danger she was in. Her concerns, however, were dismissed and undermining reductive term that she was cop shopping. I've seen a headline story in The Guardian following this, highlighting the fact that she wasn't actually cop shopping, that she was looking for somebody who cared. And it's 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 just so tragic to to think about and um, the fear that she would have been going through at that time. Tyler, police have admitted that Wilkinson's death could have been prevented and the handling of this case was a systematic failure. What do you think the case shows about Queensland police's response to domestic violence? That's terrible. Like, so fucking bad. This story, and I had maybe parked the details of Kelly Wilkinson's murder. It was 2021, obviously, when this happened. But going back and reading through this story today was just so horrifying. And then thinking about the term cop shopping Mm. and the fact that that would have been used. They would have said this, this woman's just, you know, looking around, she's cop shopping, she's trying to get someone to listen. The connotations within that term alone are so gendered and so despicable. The connotations within that term is that she is some kind of bunny boiler crazy woman who is running around the Gold Coast just telling this far-fetched story to any police person that will listen. And obviously that's how she was treated. That's how the system treated her. And 
there's no excuse at all for what transpired and I don't think that there's any justification for this but the Mm. the worst part is as well is that she is not an anomaly Kelly Wilkinson is not an anomaly we see this time and time again we saw it with Hannah Clark's murder she'd gone to police she'd said I know he could kill me like I can see it in his eyes he could kill me she had told them and it's just this I don't know this inertia that exists and like this tolerance of domestic violence and and this tendency to think of women as almost as though they're doing something to have these kind of behavior perpetrated against them. Like I I just don't know what the the mentality is there and I don't know what the answers are, but obviously like there just needs to be such huge work that's done across the police forces. But, you know, I think Queensland is, is particularly notable. We've seen issues crop up with the Queensland Police Force numerous times. And this story has shaken me to my core again three years later and I just feel so horrible and heartbroken that that's what she had to deal with and in amongst feeling so terrified and so at a loss and just trying to get support from the social services that are there to support her, to look after her, to protect her. She wasn't able to do that and she was just told that she was cop shopping yeah it's showing like there's this horrible cultural issue that's going on there that first of all the term cop shopping that that is used as well like do they think that she was doing that for some kind of like what why would she yeah, exactly. why would somebody why? be doing that what it's just it, it's like why would yeah for fun? that's what like, i mean about the connotations of it it is yeah. that like she's attention seeking because yeah. if you because she wants think- attention for what's going on. <laughs> exactly. If, if someone's attention seeking, then maybe there's an issue. That's yeah. like, it's a horrible story. And also we know that from police data, domestic and family violence related homicides in Queensland have risen by 50% in a year. Yeah. So in the past financial year, 24 people were allegedly murdered by intimate partners or family members compared to 16 in the previous years. And about a, wow, these stats, about a third of the alleged killers were known to police as well. Queensland Police obviously has, has work to do to address these issues, but they need to be doing it right now. There, there must be avenues and pathways that they can take. And it, yeah. it starts with addressing those uh, cultural issues that are going on in the police force that would have police ever using terms like cop shopping or ever assuming that somebody is is doing so and, and refusing to believe their stories. Let's go to our final story for the week. And we spoke a little bit about the event that we were both at in Melbourne yesterday, which was very exciting. Women's health is increasingly being recognised as broader than sexual and reproductive health, which is often how we think about women's health and how it's portrayed in public discourse and in the media. But we know now that it encompasses so many conditions that affect women disproportionately or differently. And Jean Howe's 2023 National Women's Health Survey has signalled that women support policies for additional paid leave for all conditions, not just menstrual or menopause leave, which those are the two areas in recent times that we've really been thinking about. So out of more than 3,200 female respondents, 67% of Australian women supported the additional paid sick or personal leave for all people. However, more than four in five of them believe that current employers or workmates may not be understanding if they were to request leave for a health concern and there are real concerns from Australian women as well that these kind of labels open women up to discrimination 
And we know there's been some great progress made on women's health in the last few years, but this kind of shows that we may not be thinking about things in the right way just yet. What did you make of the report? I thought the report was really interesting and maybe even quite courageous, if I might say, from Jean House as well, to put this out there in the sense that because we often will be celebrating organisations who do introduce things like menstruation leave and menopause leave. And I, I think that we should. I think that it is helpful in that sense that to have these conversations. And I think that got brought up on the panel as well, that when these things do get introduced, it does actually spark an entire conversation about the need for it. And we see that with paid parental leave as well. For Or if you, you know go for paid parental leave equality, then you start having a conversation about why it's actually important that dads are accessing paid parental leave. And you can talk about all the benefits to that if you do it in the right way. It doesn't if it could end up discriminate against women on account of the fact that, oh, we might have to pay menopause leave or the fact that that person may have said that they need menopause leave and therefore Mm. they are signaling their age or something like that. And that Mm. somehow results in some kind of discrimination as well. So I think Benefits in terms of starting the conversation, benefits from Gene Howes here as well in terms of saying, hey, maybe we can look at what this conversation is and make sure it is more inclusive than being really specific and applying labels here and there because that is leaving people out and it could be also leaving people to be concerned about using it or be concerned about getting discriminated against later on. So on the panel, we, we heard good ideas and part of it comes back to, I don't know if it's hard to sum up, but one that a key point was around labels. If we can go more to generic labels and maybe labels that see that there's a benefit for everyone as well, mm. I think that could be good. And I think that's where paid parental leave, we went early into labels. It became maternity leave. Paid parental leave very much got associated with primary carers, primary parents, and typically women. It had gender labels attached often. Often in policies from employees, they would actually specify male, female labels and things like that. And now we're trying to unpick that and say, well, actually label free. It should be if you become a parent that this should be accessible. What is a secondary parent anyway? Mm. That's just so dismissive. So, And you know, here it's like, well, I think we should be considering what do labels do? To this kind of leave? Or is this something that we're going to be trying to unpick in five or 10 years time? Yeah, I thought so too. And I, I mean, I think it did, it did cause me to think more about the overall situation. And, and yeah, I think you're right. Like, you know, we do, we do celebrate organizations that are starting to think big picture about women's health. And I think that is really encouraging. You know, if, if employers are taking steps towards implementing this kind of leave, yes, they are kind of leaning towards labels at the moment, but at least they're starting somewhere. So it's not at all to condemn that approach. I think that that's, it's, it's good. And that's progress that we're thinking about it. But I do think that before we start to really kind of move down this road of labeling everything, we need to think about what we want society to look like in the next 10 years, in the next 20 years, what do we really want this leave to be achieving? And you know, one of the panelists, Lillian Kakuvi, really highlighted a beautiful notion that's at the core of African tribal culture. And it's this idea of Harambi, where you're doing everything as a collective, as a collective force for the collective good, and every single person that's involved in bringing policy together and progress together is really forged together in that united purpose. And Mm. I thought that that was a really lovely way of observing it. And I think in how we are framing this in the future and how we, we kind of continue down the road, we need to be thinking about it in those terms so that we are not relegating people to the sidelines, that we are not putting up new 
barriers for women mm. and that that's the concern here. So, yeah, well done to Jean Howes for, you know, examining this and really putting this out there so that we can have a different perspective, so that we can have some more nuance in this conversation and, and really start to, to piece things together in the right way. I like that Lillian spoke about that concept or that philosophy uh, with that idea about the collective benefits as well, that we need to see collective benefits. And one of those collective benefits, I think that family-friendly workplaces do a good job of this, is talking about the collective benefit of the children, that, you know, children are actually everyone's responsibility. That is the next generation. And it should be, employers should see a reason to be supporting that next generation as well. And therefore, you know, have the right policies to make it clear to support parents, whether it's through leave policies or flexibility or whatever. So I think that'd be really great to try and introduce more of. I'm not sure how that necessarily happens, but great to think about the um, collective beneficiaries. And I was reflecting last night on what Assistant Minister Jed Carney said, how she talked about the example of introducing, I think she called it chronic health leave or 10 days of chronic health leave. That was also good as well. She sort of looked at that saying, well, actually the majority of people with chronic health conditions are women. 10 days won't solve everything, but it is certainly useful. And it can mean that then there's a wide range of experiences covered there. Mm. I was thinking about like, and I've written about like psoriasis um, as a chronic health condition and I got, you know, quite bad with it in the past five months. And then it actually did mostly clear up over the break period that we had. I was like, oh, that would be a, a classic example of thinking if I, you know, to take a week off, it makes a massive difference to something like psoriasis. To be able to have that option would be quite powerful because, it would mean that if you can get something like that under control during that time, and that's in my experience, that's not everyone's experience of dealing with that, but you could come back just feeling so much stronger and, you know, ready to take on things. Your well-being is just going to be so much better at that point and you're going to be a much better employee as well. Yeah, 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 100%. That is everything from The Crux. You can catch up with all these stories and more on womensagenda.com.au. You can... See our report on the Gene Howes research, as well as our other stories regarding these issues that we have talked about here today. And a reminder also, you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at womensagenda.com.au forward slash subscribe. Thank you for listening.